Welcome to Thrive, a series that explores how founders, leaders, and changemakers innovate, grow, and navigate in an age of constant disruption. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm really, really excited for tonight because I'm going to be learning right along with all of you. Um, and I think in lieu of kind of digging more into formal bios, maybe we can just hear a little bit, Tommy, about how you ended up at RightBio and uh, and sort of what you spend your days doing as a way to kind of get to know you before you dive into what the company does and what blockchain is and all that good stuff. Sure, I'd love to. Um, is this mic on? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you again, Lynn, for uh, that wonderful introduction, and thank you, Thrive and um, Babson, for putting on this great event. So, um, as they mentioned, I'm Ami Patel, and I work on product strategy at Ripe. And the way I actually got started in it was um, I have a background in public health, um, and a lot of that was a crossover into food policy and food safety. And so, um, shortly after I got my master's, I wanted to focus more um, on the corporate side of things, and so I went into management consulting. And within that, um, I worked a lot on product strategy and tech enablement within the healthcare industry, but through that I saw that there was a, a lot of gaps um, in preventive health and food policy. And so shortly after, um, I spent like about four years in management consulting, got a good business acumen out of it, but I still had this passion for the food world that um, I knew I wanted to use uh, tech to really understand how agriculture and food and healthcare are all related. So last year, um, around this time, I actually um, decided to take a position in India at a startup that was redesigning food supply chains for farm to fork uh, food delivery. And um, the Indian market is very different in the sense like agriculture um, is huge there, but it's not as supported. And so unfortunately, things such as farmer suicide um, are, are a terrible problem. And so all of these NGOs and startups are popping up to really innovate in this industry and understand how they can not work against the climate, but work with the climate and really create more farmer welfare and introduce more organic options and more safe options of food to the Indian market. So I led product strategy and uh, market strategy when I was there. And so um, while being there, I knew I wanted to dive more into that same industry. And so I started looking up all the innovation that was going on within food and ag. And luckily, Ripe was on a Forbes Top 25 Innovative Food Companies article. So I reached out to our CEO, Raja Ramachandran, through LinkedIn. And uh, luckily, he, uh, he was really great and really responsive and um, saw a great collaborative opportunity. And um, that's how I basically got started with Ripe. Nice. Yeah. And what what is a day in your life look like uh, at the company? Maybe you're going to dive into that in, in some of the explanation, but yeah, um, um, yeah. I think uh, I think all of us wear many hats, um, as any person at a startup uh, probably knows. But what I mainly do is really develop um, a lot of our market and product strategy and understand what our clients' needs are and not only how to meet them right now, but meet them in three or five years, and really designing solutions and understanding the way that we can create a UI and create um, more user-friendly ways to really understand uh, how they can not only use just a blockchain concept, but understand how they can use it to connect to different industries and different players along the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Great, okay, so we are actually gonna zoom out and Ami is gonna walk us through the basics of, um, of what RIPE does and what blockchain and food means. So maybe we can switch to that piece. Yes. I'm gonna have all of you turn your chairs. We're gonna look at some slides because this, as you've probably gleaned from anything you've read on blockchain, is a bit complicated. Um, okay. 
Um, so this will be a pretty quick presentation, um, but don't worry, we'll have lots of time for questions afterwards. Um, so RiteBio. So currently we have no idea who makes our food, how it gets to us, or really just what's in it. And it's really because these simple questions that we all have um, should be really easy to answer, and we honestly shouldn't have them because we should trust where our food comes from. Um, but currently our food system kind of looks like this. There's a lot of cool key players um, from great innovations within ag to um, middlemen and distributors to the people who cook food down to retailers and down to how we buy it. But none of it's really connected in any way. And so what Wright basically did is create the blockchain of food. Um, and so I know blockchain can be a bit of a scary term for people because a lot of people associate with cryptocurrencies and the finance industry. But really our use of blockchain is creating um, a more connected food system. So blockchain in, in essence is a distributed ledger system. And ultimately it's one of the most trustworthy ways to put information onto a key source and make sure that it's transparent and that essentially it regulates itself because everyone's able to see what's on the blockchain and understand where there are mistakes or voids or uh, a mistrust of information. And so the way the blockchain of food works is it connects everyone to create essentially a virtual supply chain. And then we take all of that data and enable it so they can create more products for the future and create just more trust and traceability and transparency within our food system. Um, so this is what we call the wall of words. And as you can see, within food, there's many terms and many words that everyone uses. And so everything from groundwater contamination to harvesting to vegetarian. And so really food is just a wall of words right now. And every stakeholder, whether it is a grower or if it's a distributor or if it's a retailer, we all have our own mini language of food, but there's no way to translate it to everyone else. So what we did is we basically created connections through all of these words. And we understand how everything from geolocation to air quality to um, what the taste is and to your palate and how it all connects to create and translate the language of food. And so this creates a product history. And so for example, if you look at something like sustainability, when we look at food products, a lot of times we'll say, oh, it's sustainable, so I'll take it because I'm a consumer who cares about this. But do we actually know what that means? Is there evidence behind it? And so through creating product histories that are all on a transparent blockchain, you're able to see the soil health that was in it, the energy that was in it, if it was organic, what the water quality was like, um, and all the chemical inputs. And so it provides that evidence, that extra fortification that we need to really trust our food system. I think um, there was this article that came out of the end of last year that said, oh, like, I think about only 30% of people that were surveyed actually think our food system is trustworthy, which is an astonishingly small number. And so through creating product histories on a blockchain, we're able to really address those issues. Um, and so we call we developed what's called the RiteBio Food Bundle. So it's basically a digital picture of food from when it gets planted to in a seed to um, all the sensors that were on it when it was being grown. So you can measure like the air quality and the water quality. And then from the time it was picked up and harvested to the time that it made it to the truck, the temperature it was in within the truck, when it got to the warehouse, when it left the warehouse and got to the retailer, and then finally when it got into your hands. And so this food bundle is really placing a digital fabric over an analog world and connecting all of those key players. Um, so what this means for food and ag basically is it's disrupting the business model. Um, if you look at it right now, and if you just take away like 
half the half the, the top half of the circle. That's kind of like what we're looking at, right? The farmer talks to the person in front of him. The person in front of him only talks to the person after him. So there's not really a good connection. And so this actually creates a bi-directional information flow. Um, so now, down to the consumer, if I eat a, an apple, I can actually tell the grocer or whoever um, I'm eating it at the retailer or the store I'm eating it from that, hey, like this apple wasn't that great. And, there could be a way I could input that information, and then that the farmer could see and really understand and um, grow better food and understand what their consumer is looking for as well. Um, so these are just a few of the benefits that some stakeholders have out of this technology. Um, growers really understand how they can improve their yield. They're able to take all of the data and really understand how they can create a better business model. Um, globally, I think farmer welfare is an issue. And so um, blockchain can really help create those um, bridges between growers and their consumers and, and help them create new lines of businesses. Um, obviously, the consumer, we get better food. Um, we get more quality-driven food. Um, and then retailers are knowing that we are demanding this information. And so they need something that creates a stronger brand for themselves and to really de define and say, no, 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 this food safety recall was pinpointed to this tomato and so now we can actually look at that crate of tomatoes and see where it came from and prevent something like a food safety hazard at the end of the day. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit into the pilot they did last year um, which was a quest for a better tomato. Um, and so last year when Wright first got started uh, they worked with a grower out in uh, Massachusetts and um, it was in partnership with Sweetgreens Salad Company to really understand how we can track a tomato on a blockchain. Um, and so they gathered all the data, they um, had sensors data, they had harvest data, um, and then they were able to look at how it was delivered and when it was delivered and really understand the analytics behind it and know that um, harvest time, I think uh, they ended up understanding that harvest time they could have actually not delivered in one day um, if they even waited on a good business model, but it helps reduce food waste ultimately um, and helps understand how they can better aggregate data to understand um, and apply it in new business models. And so for the consumer, this means that they'd be able to see something essentially like this. Um, and they'd be able to understand like their tomato came from that northeastern zone and it traveled all the way down uh, south. And yeah, you can look at it and say, I got fresh, locally sourced food, and you can say it with complete confidence as well. Um, so yeah, that's the last slide, um, just for a short presentation, and I think we'll head back over for a question and answer session. Yeah, I want to unpack, thank you very much, I want to unpack um, some of what you described and then definitely open it up to questions that, um, that our audience may have. Yeah. So why don't, I mean, there's a lot of, um, potential values and benefits, increased transparency, better data, more efficient supply chains, less waste. There's so many different opportunities for so many players along the food chain with blockchain technology. To kind of keep it on the ground, maybe we'll stick with the Wardsbury Farm Sweet Green Ripe I.O. case to sort of follow the tomato. But where are we in terms of, you did a pilot, What's going to happen next? Was it just Ripe.io with Wardsbury Farm with Sweetgreen on the chain? Was there, were there other folks on the chain? What kind of data? Um, what did you learn from that to take it to the next level? 
Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question. Um, so I think with any pilot, um, essentially you want to understand if this use case is going to work. And so um, that confirmation was not only understood, but also in the sense of what is the type of data that we need? What are the other ways that we can put sensors on things? Um, we also learned that a key challenge was trying to get uh, the middlemen on board, so the distributors, um, the warehouses, because a lot of times they have all the data, um, but they're just, uh, I think for so long their industry's worked in a certain way that it's, it's kind of difficult to get them on board with the technology. So understanding those challenges, I think, was a key aspect of the pilot. And then also, um, it was just one tomato. And different food works in different ways. And so we're now exploring, we've, um, we're working with uh, the dairy farmers of America to understand the blockchain use case for dairy and cheese products. And not only uh, when you think dairy, um, it's not just like the products we end up consuming, but it's everything from is um, the cow being fed quality food. How can we um, put biometric markers on them and then understand how that affects the end result of the milk product that we're using. So I think it's understanding the different uses of blockchain within the food industry and then um, tying all those uh, loose ends together. And is it fair to say, um, from what I've read, it sounds like you can do a pilot with some data and then do a similar simulation or follow a, another product and then add other layers of data later on? Is it iterative with different partners adding more and more data? Because it seems like a lot of the benefits are connected to more players hooked in and more data sharing. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. Um, if you remember the Walla words, a language is only as useful as the amount of people who use it, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're able to translate it to more people, that means it gets a better use case out of it. Um, and so that's essentially it. It's understanding um, how we can get the seed companies on board and um, how to get um, everyone from like, packaging to where the glass is coming from and how that affects the food um, and the end result. So I think it's understanding like what key players are within this industry and what are the, the different metrics that we need to measure and understand how we can create new data out of it. Mm -hmm. And then my last uh, question for the moment is gonna be um, from, from the different types of clients that you've been piloting with and all the different um, uh, pilots you're running or, or chains you're building, is, can you generalize about which players from farmer to manufacturer to distributor to retailer to restaurant or you know in these categories where you're seeing more willingness to hop on and where you're seeing more resistance? Yeah, um, I think that's a very important um, distinction to make. Um, so I think retailers, because they have such brand um, integrity and they know that other consumers are demanding more information are certainly the first to really show a lot of key awareness and interest in this. Now, um, retailers is a broad term because you have everything from big enterprises such as your big brands like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Nestle. Um, and uh, I'm sure everyone's read about how IBM partnered with Walmart to create a blockchain solution. So I think um, the enterprises are definitely the ones that are um, I think getting the most news coverage, but they're also, because they're so large, I think they're a little slower to move on it. Um, I think it's really the small retailers and the farm to forks, like a Sweet Greens, um, that are really showing a lot more um, innovation within it because I think they're just able to activate it a little better. 
Um, I think growers, we get so many inquiries from all types of growers, from small farms in the Middle East to big, uh, large farms in South America. Um, I've had talks with executives from Chile that have come visited. Um, next week I'm talking to a group of French executives. So I think um, the growers are definitely interested in how this works because I think um, within agriculture there's a lot of stuff going on within um, sensors and using technology to and farm management software. Um, so I think from their end, there's a lot of interest, but I think budget is a huge issue at times. And then also um, understanding just kind of like the landscape of this and if it's really something that's worth the investment for them. Um, and like I mentioned, I think it's the, the distributors and the middlemen that are kind of like the, I wouldn't say the most uh, difficult, but I would say that they're probably the least likely to adopt it as quick because, um, again, I think it's just such a disparate industry and until now they've operated in silos. So um, it's just a little bit more difficult to understand how we can connect them uh, to really make the supply chain work more efficiently. Yeah, and since I'm in education and not in the industry, I can say I'm not surprised that, yeah. that the mm -hmm. distributors are um, pushing back more because certainly um, there are cost benefits to the way that the system has been working. And uh, you know, if, if you make everything transparent, there, there, there's going to be shifts in power in, in the way people move food now. So. Yeah, um, but I think a lot of the more innovative ones, uh, we've certainly been in talks with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they're seeing that they can easily benefit from this. Because when they hold so much data, they really want to understand how they can apply it in this, in this most useful way possible. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good. Do we have questions from the audience um, about anything you've heard about blockchain, about what Ami's explained, about right bio? How much uh, will public policy play in how you kind of laughing at that? How much, uh, whoa, how much uh, will public policy play a role in kind of the future of blockchain and food? I mean, is that what's going to be required to get everybody on the supply chain adopted? Um, I think. So public policy, I think, is huge in general um, because, especially when it comes to blockchain, um, because I think a lot of governments have very strong opinions on different use cases of blockchain. Um, I think as food is concerned, there's definitely, um, well, just as all regulatory affairs work, they work a little slower than private industry. So I think they're going to look to the private industry and see um, how much uh, the food industry is benefiting from this. Um, and how much they can actually learn from it. Um, I know we've had uh, speakers, um, uh, representatives from RIPE go talk to different government agencies um, and give uh, talks on um, how we're using blockchain. So they're definitely interested in it and they definitely are aware of the positive impact it could have. Um, and then other public policy just as far as like people like the World Health Organization and different nonprofits globally have contacted us to really understand how we're using um, this, uh, the technology to create more transparency. So I think the interest is there, but again, I think they're just a little slower to move. Uh, I think our hope is that we're able to, to really show the proof of concept and really show how this is benefiting them, um, especially with all the food safety. Um, the FSMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, mm -hmm. requires a lot from retailers and food industry and ag industry people. And so I think they're finding that if they're requiring this much information, there has to be a way that they could file it in a safe way. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time before they actually start adopting it versus just standing back and looking at how it's going to play out. Um, so <laughs> if someone is building a new supply chain system, 
and they're not using blockchain, are they screwed? Like, is that even possible now? Like, um, I, <laughs> uh, I think, um, well, I think if someone is building a new supply chain, I'd be curious to see how they would do this in a trustworthy way and why they would want to create a new supply chain. If it's, because until now, really, that's just been the problem, right? It's very fragmented. And so if you were to create a new, a new supply chain, you'd want it to be trustworthy, and you'd want it to be in a new way where every, everyone knows what information is there and it's able to be regulated in a positive way. So hopefully if someone else is building a new supply chain um, and not using blockchain, then they probably have a million dollar ticket to a new kind of technology that all of us need to adopt. Because until now, I, I probably can't say uh, that there's anything else there in the industry. Hi. Uh, my question is surrounding the economics of this. Uh, is it making it more expensive to buy food for the consumer? And if so, are consumers willing to pay that extra cost? Um, yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when it comes to premium foods, such as when we look at what's organic and what's sustainable, I think we pay a price for that, right? And as consumers, we, we tell ourselves um, that we know exactly where this food came from. It's good for us. It's healthy. It's quality food. And so right now, there is a surcharge for it, right? Um, I think the hope is eventually, um, if more and more people start adopting this quality food definition that we're creating and start getting on this network of quality food, hopefully over time it'll drive the price of quality food down. So I think in the long run, it can have a really positive impact. Now, for the short term, the end price is the result of the retailer. And so we leave that in their department. Um, so if they want to use this technology to fortify their brand, and if that so happens to be a price increase, then that's up to the retailer. Um, at, at Ripe, we really are just an advisor to the retailer because we're B2B. Um, so the implications of how much the cost at the end would be to the consumer isn't really known, um, and it's just on a case-by-case -case basis. What's the quality of food? <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think buzzword is definitely something that you could use now, but I think uh, when you look down the road, it'll, it'll be something that is the definition of food. Can you talk through a little bit more of your, the tomato farm example? Like, what were you guys measuring? How are you guys measuring it? Um, how, where is the information being stored and how is it being accessed? Mm -hmm. And who is accessing it? Yeah, so for the tomato farm, um, they were, they, we teamed up with, um, a device called Analog Devices, which is um, an ag sensor device company. And so uh, they were able to use those sensors and really track a lot of um, the health and the, what goes into the measurements of food, um, such as the, the air quality and water quality, and, and um, really understand what, like, how much sucrose is in the tomato um, down to the nutrient level. And then um, all that data was gathered. And then um, it was tracked uh, to which warehouse it went to, to what the temperature of uh, where it was stored was, and then down to where it actually um, ended up at Sweet Greens. How, how, like who's accessing that information? So it's, it's all getting generated and stored. But you know, so you're talking about like the end consumer can then go in and see um, where the products coming from also an attribute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a, um, at that time, um, uh, it wasn't um, piloted to the, directly to the consumer, and that's something that we're still um, working on and for the, for the collaboration with them. 
But the hope is that there'll be a UI. So it'll be everything. Um, so we could, if Sweetgreens, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, they have an app. So you could look into the app and understand exactly um, where the tomato was tracked. It could have a QR code where you could scan it and see. Um, or they could have like a large board in their, in their restaurant. And you could actually um, scan into that as well and really understand where each vegetable you're eating came from. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the consumer way of it. I think the best way to put it is um, a permission ledger system is what we kind of refer to. So um, basically now, like when you think blockchain, it's very public. Um, and that's kind of the hope for it, that everyone will eventually be able to access and see it um, and be able to understand the information. But right now, we call it a more of a permissioned blockchain, mm -hmm. where um, really uh, it's up to the, the client um, who gets to see what information and who gets access to, to understand um, and navigate some of those areas. And so they may create a new UI for the grower. So it's like a very specific dashboard that they're using versus uh, the one that the consumer sees. Hi. Uh, my question is about uh, data interchanges. So I also have a, a product focus and a healthcare technology background. And as soon as you started talking about all the middlemen in your fragmented existing marketplace today, I thought immediately about HL7, which is just a mess. I mean, it's a nominal standard in the healthcare space for data interchange. Have, have you been architecting your platform, or are there other third parties that are in the same space with you? Are you shaping together some kind of standard for how sure. mom and pop A are going to send you their temperature data from their truck? And Because if that's different from mom and pop B and very different from Walmart, then you're in a mode where your, your platform is a little limited. So can you talk a little bit about how you're architecting yeah. for scale and standards? Yeah, I think interoperability is a, is a huge challenge. Um, and uh, right now, we try to integrate with many different blockchain systems. Um, and so really, it's just the way that we're getting the data. So it could be in an Excel sheet. Um, it could be in tables. It could, whatever uh, way the client prefers, uh, we have a, a few different options um, that our tech team works with. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's a huge thing. So if Walmart is using IBM's blockchain, um, but then uh, one of their partners is using our blockchain, how is that going to work? And so that's something that we're still trying to navigate through and really work with key industry players to understand if there's a way we can have an interoperability or an open innovation system to really um, integrate all of this. Because at the end of the day, ultimately, uh, the food system, everyone interacts with it every single day. And we're going to have to really figure out how we can uh, make sure these systems are talking to each other. Hi. Uh, on the scale question, I had a related question. So a lot of our supply chains and food chains especially are across uh, countries and continents. How is, that, how is this going to scale on kind of a global scale where uh, we have food coming from everywhere and how is that going to be tracked through multiple hands? And uh, do, you, like, do you see any uh, innovation there and, and kind of how is that problem going to be solved? Yeah, actually, um, I think globally uh, we have inquiries from everywhere. In fact, um, our CEO is in Australia right now because uh, we're working with an accelerator out there to um, innovate the um, dairy industry. And um, he actually had a meeting with the Ministry of Ag there yesterday. So I think, um, and then we've had question inquiries from companies that work a lot in exporting to places in Asia and different parts of South America. And so I think the scale of it, um, it's not even a question of whether it's going to scale. I think it's a matter of how are we going to do this in the most efficient way. Because I think there's a lot of regulatory um, 
ways to navigate it, um, and I think uh, different uh, countries require different policies and, and have different uh, labels and uh, standards for food. So I think it's really understanding how we're able to navigate that part of it versus um, how to uh, understand if that's something that they even want, because I think more and more, since it is a global industry and everyone's importing and exporting everywhere, that uh, I think it's in their benefit to really adopt this earlier rather than sooner, or later, sorry. So you touched a little bit on the uh, permission block, blockchain uh, um, phase. Is there a point in your company's, <coughs> sorry, your company's roadmap where if more players were, you know, say 100 to 1,000 more companies or suppliers were joining as, you know, more distributors, mm -hmm. would there be a point where you would convert from the permission blockchain to a more uh, public blockchain that would require like a tokenization like cryptocurrency? Yeah, I think um, I was waiting for the token question. <laughs> I always get it. Um, no, that's a wonderful point to bring up. I think, um, yeah, right now, um, definitely permissioned. Again, it's up to the end client um, how much they want to disclose publicly. Now, um, at Rife, we're trying to really understand how best to utilize a token system. Um, and so that's certainly something that's on our priority list that we discuss every single day. Um, there's other companies that are um, trying to do something similar within the, in the industry and they have different uses for a token system or a crypto system of their own. Um, but I think right now uh, we're going, um, we're, we're definitely just trying to observe and understand the best way. And I think uh, your, to your point, um, creating more public system that may be um, like an open innovation platform of some sort, um, I think is, is a, a great way to really understand how we can make it a more public um, system that globally um, everything from like a nonprofit to a small farmer can use that may not be able to afford the technology but wants the data or wants to contribute to the data. Uh, so I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. Nathan? So when you talk about permission ledgers, in terms of like reading and writing data in the chain, how does that work? So is data for all people who have grant, been granted access to the ledger open for everyone? Or, and how does that scale to longer supply chains with uh, where middlemen are disincentivized to reveal their identities in fear of being cut out? Um, so let me get, so you're asking um, how people are able to contribute data and then um, have it segmented so only certain parties are able to see it? Yeah, sure. So if I was joining, if I was allowed to join the right blockchain, like how would, what would I see in the system or would I only be contributing data and is that information centralized to the buyer or whoever is telling me to join the system? And second, how does it scale to larger, longer supply chains? Yeah, um, so that really just fall, that falls into data segmentation. Um, I think with most, um, technologies where you, even if it's like a cloud-based system, you're able to always have uh, different um, permissions. And so, um, like you mentioned, uh, let's say someone like a distributor uh, may not want to give their data or may not want to um, have everyone see their data. And so if we are working with a distribu distribution client, then um, it's up to them ultimately to really tell us who is allowed to see what um, at the end of the day because it's proprietary information. So a lot of times we're now, um, our solution is to create a UI for um, different people involved. And I mentioned this earlier, but if I, if I was a consumer, 
most likely I don't want to see every piece of information because that's just a lot for one consumer to I see. I would assume there's a translation exactly. that needs to happen. So that exactly. It, yeah. um, and so even to put data on to the blockchain, um, it's definitely you'll have like your own um, account and password and, and have um, a different sort of permissioned way to contribute that data. But ultimately, I think um, you're asking ownership, sort of. Yeah. So ownership is really right now up to the client. Um, and so, but the thing is we're finding that if they're willing to explore this option of using blockchain in the food system, they want to be as transparent as possible. And so we're finding a lot of times um, if it's just extremely private proprietary information, then they may not want everyone to see that. But for the most part, they're, they're pretty open to having everyone along the supply chain um, access a lot of, most of the information. Kind of a follow-up to that question. Um, so as a consumer, if I want to see the product that I'm about to purchase and I want to know every step along the supply chain, although some of them have been omitted by, say, the client you're working with, is that not trust by, or, you know, dishonesty by omission um, if we're not seeing some of that data? And so in a, you know, situation where the blockchain sort of thrives on its trustlessness, how do you reconcile that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's a good point. I think um, it's important to make the distinction that um, it's not that they're omitting the data. I think it's just in the form that we're seeing it in. So I think to, to me, I think if I saw um, a bunch of data points um, on like an ag sensor, it may not make sense to me, but I think it's the way that the analytics we develop around it and um, looking into like the insight behind the label that I'm able to see that really creates that clear story and picture of it. So I think um, when it comes to data segmentation and ownership, it's more of a how are we going to show this to different people to help them understand it versus um, just seeing a bunch of data points that someone could, could not understand and just could take our information and run with it somewhere. So I think it's more um, of under, just understanding how we can just create that food bundle out of it and track it and create just a more relatable story for everyone involved. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because that was where I was gonna go is sort of the high level, um, the wonderful Forbes blog article that, that uh, came out last fall from yeah. RightBio, which is how you guys uh, appeared on my radar, is, um, among a suite of, uh, of, of articles that have come out recently that talk about full transparency and traceability and authenticity and you know it's, it's a distributed letter and ledger and everyone gets to see all the transactions and it's sort of um, very glossy and sort of idyllic sounding and then what you're walking us through tonight is more sort of the, the nuances to particular client relationships and where we are in the stages. And it sounds like from the audience questions, a lot of folks here understand the technology. Um, but on that point, I am interested in kind of where the reconciliation is between sort of the ideal picture of all these benefits and possibilities and where we can go with it and where we are now in the dynamics of Ripe.io is a startup company with certain services and has clients, and the clients are then dictating who's going to be on the chain and who's going to see what and how are we going to onboard new folks along the way. So I guess my question to sort of bring it back up a level is kind of where are we between, he, between the beginning when you know, it's very buzzy to talk about blockchains and food and you know, next week there's the World Agritech Summit. There are four sessions on blockchain at the World Agritech Summit. So 
where are we between the, oh, this is really exciting and new possibilities in food, and you guys are on the front lines of that, and getting to where consumers, eaters of food, are going to say, aha, we've arrived now. I have a translated, trustworthy, you know, suite of information that I, that, that I didn't have before about the food industry. Yeah, um, I think where, I think to your point, um, yeah, the conference next week has like four blockchain sessions. So I think everyone is trying to really understand uh, blockchain. Um, and it's like this very like new, cool concept that everyone wants to know. But specifically, we have been approached by all sorts of food products and we're just have so many things coming down the pipeline. Um, everything from wine to um, different types of poultry, like beef and chicken and, and understanding the food safety hazards behind that. And um, we've been in touch with um, uh, different sort of uh, packaging companies and things like that. And so I think all of the, the way it's gonna get to the consumers is going to be very soon. Um, I think it's a matter of who is going to um, really implement this in the fastest way possible. I know we have tons of clients that are, are definitely about to start uh, in this upcoming month, and so we're all very busy with that. But um, I think pretty soon it's gonna be a more tangible concept uh, for everyone to really um, understand and then innovate within that and learn from our mistakes and, and go forward with how we're gonna create this more transparent and more traceable system. Um, I think a huge challenge, I will say, that I've seen is um, authenticity. And so I think that's a tricky word a lot of times um, to prove authenticity because essentially, if there is a created apples and um, there's like a code on it that the distributor will scan and then pack up, right? There's, if someone comes, human error is always going to be an issue. If someone comes and switches out that crate, then we can't prove the authenticity. So I think that's the trickiest part um, of always having that concept of human error. But then eventually, I think the beauty of a blockchain is at least we're able to track that exact crate down and really understand if there was like a hazard out of it, then we're able to really um, solve that issue and then prevent um, like a whole truck of apples from going to waste. So I think uh, the challenges definitely fall within authenticity. Um, and then also, I think just large, large enterprise adoption just because they're a little um, slower to move on it. But I think the smaller clients are, are certainly um, the ones that are going to be the ones that are, are heard pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And you have so many different types of clients doing so many different things, but is there a um, trend line in terms of what the clients are solving for? Is it food waste? Is it food safety? Is it um, you know, premium benefits, regenerative agriculture is the new organic. I mean, what, what, are, what are the sort of ones that are bubbling to the surface, either for RIPE.io or the nascent field of blockchain food companies that, that these companies uh, that are your clients are pushing for? Like, we gotta get this going. Yeah, I think um, quality, quality curation is huge. Um, I think uh, a lot of times just for brand awareness and differentiation, um, that's like a huge factor driving a lot of this. Um, and that's more for the farm to fork clients. I think, um, for example, we were approached by a small lime company um, and uh, we were, their whole reason to basically enter this and want to use blockchain of food is because they know that a lot of their large scale retailers that they source to um, such as like if it was like a, a Kroger or a Walmart or somebody, they know that these uh, large-scale retailers are going to start using blockchain pretty soon. And if they don't get on board now, then they're going to be the slowest in the system. 
And so they're actually one of the first people that we're, we're working with uh, pretty soon to implement this technology. Um, so I think it's the, the, the retailers and the farm to fork that are really driving it from the consumer end, mm -hmm. but I think it's all the middle people and the smaller um, growers that are understanding that the industry is moving this way, and so they're trying to learn as much and, and find um, ways to really adopt this in the quickest way possible. Mm -hmm. Great. Other questions? Yeah, I have one. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role that RIPE plays um, on the sensor side? So is it an advisory role, and is the sensor industry as a whole, is it helping, is it hindering your progress? Because it seems like that's a really key hardware component in making all of this, all these pieces work together? Yeah, um, I think, so as far as RIPE is concerned, we have a key advisor um, on sensors and IoT and the latest and greatest that's going on in the industry. Um, and so he's wonderful as well. Um, and uh, I think uh, a lot of times um, if the growers have sensors, and we're, we definitely work with them, sometimes they look to us to advise them on it. Um, the pilot we did last year, we teamed up with analog devices. Um, and so that was a partnership effort. Um, and so I think uh, a lot of the new um, consumers that we're onboarding, um, if they don't already have sensors, then they're looking to us to really help them understand uh, the best way to integrate them. Mm -hmm. Hi. Um, you had a question on standards, and you talked about your blockchain talking to Walmart's blockchain. Why do you need blockchain at all? A relational database talking via integration layers to different entities could solve the problem just as well. Why do you need a blockchain for that? Um, so you're asking why we need interoperability? No. Interoperability uh, via systems other than blockchains can be equally effective. Why do you need a blockchain for that? What are you thinking of? What is equally effective? Can you give an example? Unless there are standards available where each participant is conforming to and exchanging information. Yeah, you could just have an API. I mean, Walmart right. exposes an API that you call, and you expose an API that Walmart calls. This, the, the systems that Walmart's running and you're running don't need to be on blockchains. What's the additional value that's coming from doing this on blockchains? Um, I think that falls into the category of um, trust and regulation and um, not having, because right now, think about it, um, people are able to obviously hack into other systems and things like that. And yes, uh, blockchain is in a nascent stage when it comes to different types of use cases. And so it could, um, I'm sure it does have holes in it where it could be hacked uh, in different types of blockchain uh, platforms. But I think the main reason that someone like a big, like a big system like Walmart is adopting blockchain um, would be because they, they understand that there's a, it's a key way through whether they're using smart contracts or if they're using a token system or if they're using um, a public platform, that there's multiple ways to regulate it and trust it and uh, provide that stamp of approval that they're looking for. I think as standards are concerned, um, I think public policy um, will play into that a lot. I think uh, with regulatory um, standards and different ways that we're now exchanging information, there's going to be a way that we need that all these systems talk to each other. And currently, because it's so siloed, um, I don't think that the solution lies in fixing what they have now. I think it's more in implementing a new system in a new way that we can all communicate with each other. 
Did that answer your question? We can talk afterwards too if you like. Yeah. So what percent of you, the work, based on the standard stuff, what percent of the work do you feel is just taking existing systems and figuring out, you know, essentially of the value chain, like who, who's, who's doing what, what are their interests, what is the data that they have, and what percent is the blockchain in tying it together? Um, as, as the previous question asked, you know, the, the, yes, there's existing systems. What, where do you sort of see the needle falling between those two? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah, so, so, so the question is, there's plenty of existing systems out there. The people utilizing them have their own interests. What percent of RIPE's work is in getting those interests to align, and what percent is the technological implementation mm. of the blockchain okay. as the solution? Sure. Um, so I think at RIPE, we, um, we often say that we are, yes, we use blockchain, and blockchain technology is um, the product and the services that we provide. But at the end of the day, we are trying to create a more transparent and quality-driven food system. So I think that's an important distinction to make because a lot of um, the consumers that approach us, they know that there's different technologies out there. And yeah, right now, whatever they have, um, they could probably use, a lot of them use like, supply chain tracking and different platforms for those kinds of things. Um, but I think that they're understanding and they're finding that there are holes in those systems and there is a void of trust within that system. So it's not only taking their current system and just trying to fix it and iterate it and try to bring it up to the standards of today, but I think they're understanding that eventually down the road they're going to need something that's just a lot more um, not only transparent, but also just um, trustworthy in the sense that when they look at a piece of data or that they trust um, to get their stakeholders and partnerships involved, that they're able to work together on a single platform versus trying to integrate all these different things um, that they may not trust eventually. And my understanding is that's the contrast. It's not actually a chain right now. We call it a value chain or a supply chain, but you have a series of individual relationships that have their own ways, some of them on pieces of paper, to do their individual transactions in a bit of a black box. So the promised land from what I've all, everything I've read about blockchain is that you, when you onboard someone, whether it's a closed permissioned ledger or it's a totally open ledger with translation for different partners along the way, that everyone gets a copy of everything that happened to that product. So if Sweetgreen wants to build its brand on the back of this is you know, regenerative, the farmers dance in the moonlight, you know, the, it was this many days old, blah, 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 every single partner has some version of that data mm -hmm. to verify that that is in fact the case. I mean, it's an incredibly inefficient system as it exists, why we have really expensive food recalls and all these other sorts of things. In the Walmart case, one of the articles on it was, okay, we're going to track this mango. Do it. It takes seven days. Okay, now we're going to test it with the blockchain. It took something like 20 seconds because everything was synced up. So that's my understanding of, of the, the ideal situation. And frankly, I think that um, there is this, you, you gave the stat of 30%. I'm surprised it's as high as 30% of people yeah. trust the food system right now and, and in sort of a crisis of trust in general and alternative facts here, there, and the other place. Um, the idea that everyone gets a copy of everything that happens to that product, 
and that someday the end eater can say, I'm not just getting brand washed about this. Like I, I think there's a lot more to it. Um, there is, um, and again, I think we're looking at it from a very consumer perspective, but the implications for blockchain, even in financing for agriculture. Um, mm -hmm. I, next week, uh, we're hosting a workshop at the World Agritech Summit, um, and we have key speakers speaking on that. Um, and so I think it, we look at it from a very much um, a, like the food that we eat consume perspective, but I think it holds benefit for everyone along the supply chain and different use cases within that. So I think the more and more we start um, onboarding new clients and on launching this new technology with them, we're gonna find the different um, benefits uh, for each stakeholder. And I actually, uh, will come right here, but I wanna go back to where you started about your history with farmers and, and the agriculture sector in India, because one of the things I learned from Ripe.io from the press you've put out is that um, the opportunity down the line for farmers to instantaneously find markets we need X amount of this right now, mm -hmm. and for them to be able to quickly sell something that otherwise would be rotting in the field to um, new channels is very exciting for for farmers' wages and efficiencies for their land and markets yeah. for their product. So, yeah, yeah, benefit for everyone. So you kind of had a few references to this, but how do you actually generate trust and validate information in the system? So like in the Bitcoin network, you can do the math and you can calculate that someone transacting with me has sufficient funds to execute this transaction. But in the cases in which, which we discussed here, someone might be dancing on the field, someone might say that they have a premium product that you can't necessarily verify the processes that it's gone through. How do you validate that information, especially when you're incentivizing people to pay more for a product that is sustainable or something like that. So you're asking um, basically how do we make sure that I, as a person contributing data to the blockchain, am not lying about it? Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that goes back to authenticity and human error. And so um, if it's like a sensor or if it's like some sort of technology that's basically taking data and putting it on a blockchain, that's more trustworthy, I agree. But if it's someone from a warehouse saying that they um, picked up a crate of tomatoes and put it somewhere and then switched it out, yeah, we can't account for that. And so I think that's a, that's a huge problem. But I think um, the more and more we start launching this, there's just going to be different ways that we get IoT and sensors involved that a lot of times it's the, the, I think the margin for human error is going to become more narrow. Um, within that scope. And so I think people are gonna be able to trust it a lot more, knowing that um, if something was scanned in at a certain time, then that's trustworthy information. Um, because you can't, once it's on the blockchain, you can't really take it down, right? Like you can't tamper with it after that. And so um, I think the, the, the way that we contribute the data will, will merge into a more trustworthy way versus um, those small errors that will encounter, which are inevitable, and I think understanding how to navigate around them will be a huge challenge for all of us involved. Mm. Hi again. Um, so you just mentioned human error. I'm also curious about sort of like human subjectivity. I know that Ripe.io is working on taste profiles, and I'd love to just learn a little bit about how you guys are approaching that. Yeah, I think that's um, that's an exciting um, topic, taste profiles, um, which are actually really difficult to do. Um, and this goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, is that different food products work in very different ways. Um, and so to actually create a taste profile, because it is so subjective, 
to everyone involved um, is really difficult. So it's understanding, um, we specifically are working with our consumers to, to partner and understand um, how they define taste profile and how they want to define it to their consumers because I think um, there is a lot of subjectivity involved in that. And so working hand in hand, um, we've explored trying to um, partner with food scientists and different people within the industry to really navigate this world of taste profiles. Um, so I think that's like uh, the exciting thing that we as consumers want to see is to understand um, the flavor profile and the phenotypes of something. Um, so uh, certainly working on that um, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have some exciting stuff to release to y'all pretty soon. So you talked about uh, authenticity as a challenge uh, about interoperability be between blockchains. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I think another challenge you've touched upon is getting uh, distributors and others in mm -hmm. the supply chain onboarded. Uh, what are some of the opportunity spaces that you see as entrepreneurs looking to uh, capitalize or look at opportunities within the space, uh, blockchain food? Where do you see kind of most opportunity needed and where do you see kind of the industry or the movement uh, going towards? Yeah, um, I think, um, like I mentioned, dairy. Um, is very big. Um, I think um, not only with dairy, uh, you get the end product of like cheese and milk and the things that we consume, but uh, more and more people are concerned about the welfare of animals. And so um, we see biometric marking on uh, animals and tracking that data as a huge thing that's going on within the space and uh, working more on um, the grower side um, and understanding how we can work hand in hand with like essentially the provenance of something or the origin. So the seed companies are um, getting more and more involved when before they were a very separated industry. Um, you'd be surprised how separated seeds are from the rest of the food industry. Um, and so I think uh, that's a really great opportunity. I think also um, the tech challenges involved um, on working on the grower side. A lot of these places are remote areas that probably don't, aren't as connected as we would hope. So I see a lot of um, innovation within that as well. And then, um, like you said, the onboarding of distributors. Um, we're finding that um, we have a couple of uh, distributor clients coming down the track um, that we're launching pretty soon. And so um, their challenges are really in um, more of like the global scale and understanding um, how to distribute differently to their global markets versus um, the standards that they use um, here versus like in somewhere in Asia. Um, so I think uh, there's some opportunity there. And then um, I think uh, the, the other opportunity I, I've seen and heard a lot is just understanding how um, the interoperability works together. And like you mentioned, um, I think a lot of people look to us to advise on which blockchain platform is the best. Um, and uh, I think that that's something that is something that all of us um, are trying to navigate because there's literally a new platform out all the time. Um, so, um, and understanding how the token system can work into that in the best way that we can get everyone to scale it at the same um, useful way is probably a challenge that we're working on. Great, let's take the last question and then we'll wrap up the formal portion. Thanks. Um, I wanna ask a question from the perspective, probably potential customers of yours in the future. Um, I work in vertical farming, so we grow hyper-local uh, vertical farm that can deliver uh, leafy greens from harvest to customers within 24 hours. 
Uh, so there is no middleman versus you know tr the very traditional, say, leafy greens supply chain is from growers to harvester to packer, distributor, and customer. So, you know, because most of the lettuce are grown here in California, uh, the lettuce that you eat at, you say, in Boston uh, are probably already, you know, seven days old. So we are already providing, so think of us as like a home garden mm -hmm. uh, of yours. Uh, in fact, we are in the backyards of, of Babson. Um, so we are already providing much more transparency, transparency to consumers. How are we like joining blockchain are going to benefit us? Yeah, um, I would. So, are you working directly with um, the consumer? You're working with businesses that eventually sell. So both. So we build farms uh, either right adjacent to distributors or uh, you know sell through our retail stores. Okay. Um, well, to that I would say. Um, the blockchain, as far as like your B2B consumers, um, if they're using it and if that's something that they wish to provide to their consumers um, and the information they wish to provide their consumers, then um, I would say that it's in your benefit to partner with them and to understand how you can integrate this technology in some way. Um, I think to the end consumer like me, if you're just selling directly to me, um, a blockchain for my benefit may not be um, as high as like to the business, but I think the analytics you could run with putting all your information on a blockchain is probably where the business itself would um, certainly benefit um, understanding. I know that you know exactly where everything comes from, but I think it's trying to, um, well, let me ask you this. Do you know where your seeds come from? Or are you just sourcing from one company or? Uh, we source from various seed providers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big ones. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that's a that's a great example of that's something that you would definitely benefit on um, a blockchain and then uh, understanding which seeds um, are are basically giving you the best um, harvest and uh, working with different seed companies, especially in that realm, to to really take that data and make it more useful not only to you but to them as well eventually. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So to roll this all up, it sounds like it's definitely early days, yeah. uh, but very, very exciting. So thank you so much for being here and teaching all of us, and thank you for your great questions. Um, we're going to be here for the next 45 minutes or so, and we can definitely continue the conversation over some small bites. Do you want to say anything to wrap us up? Thank you, Ami. Thank you, Ripe. Thank you, Rachel. Um, yes, please join us out here for drinks. We record all these sessions, so thank you for dealing with the microphones tonight. Um, you can check out this conversation as well as others we posted in the past at thrive.freerange.com. Um, you can check the Babson San Francisco site. We have links to them there as well. So thank you for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you, so you much. both. Thanks for joining our conversation. For additional events, tools, and articles, subscribe at thrive.freerange.com.